Today we launch a brand new series that we are calling Summer Strong. And uh, whether you're joining us right now from Cape Coral or City First Anywhere location or right here at our State Line location at the Spring Creek location or God Behind Bars, we love you guys, God Behind Bars. We just want this to be a year and a season of becoming stronger. And so this is really what I want is my prayer is after we get done with this summer that we go into the fall stronger than we came into the summer. I realize summer can sometimes be um, a season that we go into vacation mode, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I hope you all get a vacation, all right? Take a little bit of time, rest, especially today um, on this Independence Day. Um, make sure you take some time to find some rest, but we don't want to take a vacation from our faith, and we don't want to take a vacation from Jesus. Instead, what we want to do is invest in our faith so by the time we come out of summer, we're stronger. So we're in this four-week series in the month of July, and I want to encourage you to be here all four weeks, whether it be in person or online. And for the very first week today, I want to focus on the subject of becoming stronger in learning how to deal with temptation. Learning how to deal with temptation, because this is what I know. The better you are at dealing with temptation, the stronger your faith becomes. And the reality is this, it is hard to not give into temptation. It is hard. My old pastor who I grew up under at this church used to say this. He used to say you can't stop the birds or keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. And what he meant by that is this, is that you cannot avoid temptation in the sense where you can't stop it, but you sure can stop it from nesting in your mind and in your lifestyle and in your habits, that you have the ability to do that. In fact, um, sometimes uh, people come up to me and they'll say, Pastor Jeremy could pray for me because I just don't want to be tempted anymore. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, good luck. Because <laughs> all of us are tempted. It's literally impossible to avoid temptation as a whole. But what we can do is become stronger in our resistance to temptation. Does that make sense? And that's what I want to talk about today. So if you have your Bible, turn open to Luke chapter 4. We're going to talk about the temptation of Christ. Luke chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. If you're at our in-person location, you just go out the door into the foyer of whatever auditorium you're in right now. And uh, go to the Next Step booth, and we'll give you a free Bible if you need one. Um, if you are online with us or at a City First Anywhere location, you go to our app, and all the scriptures I'm to talk about today are on the app, all right? So it's there for you. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, says this, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, let me say it again, full of the Holy Spirit, log that, remember that, I'm going to come back to it, all right? Returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. So we get this impression that Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted continuously. Jesus ate nothing all that time. In other words, he fasted, all right, and became very hungry. I have a saying that I've been saying for decades, and that is this, that no victory in heaven goes unanswered by hell. Let me say that again. No victory for heaven goes unanswered by hell. In the previous chapter, we understand in chapter 3 that Jesus has just been baptized or is getting baptized in the Jordan River. Like he's being literally baptized in water. And at that moment, a supernatural thing happens. The Bible says that people who were watching him, that there was a 
spirit, a Holy Spirit that was descending from heaven, and it says, like a dove. Now, it doesn't mean that it was literally a dove, but like a dove. So somewhere, everybody there that day saw the Holy Spirit coming from heaven and descending and resting on Jesus as he's being baptized. And then there's an audible voice from heaven, like God literally speaks. Now, I've never had God literally audibly speak to me. If so, I think I'd be freaked out. But that day, that God audibly spoke, and everyone who was there heard it, and this is what he said, the English translation. He said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. I mean, this is an amazing moment. Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him. An audible voice of God says, you're my dearly loved son, identifying him as his son, and that, you know what, this is a, a proud moment, you could say, that the Father in heaven was having with his son. What happens next? Very next chapter, and we believe this is chronological, by the way, very next chapter, all of a sudden Jesus is led into the wilderness, and there's a bunch of temptation. In other words, no victory for heaven goes unanswered by help. Have you ever had a God moment? God did something significant in your life, and then right after that, all hell breaks loose. You ever had that happen to you? Happened to me. In fact, I was recently talking to a business owner um, who his business gave a generous donation to City First Church right before COVID. And then right after he gave the donation through his business, right afterwards, his business had a significant, unpredicted downturn and literally lost millions of dollars. And then we went into COVID. And if you were a business owner or you had some sort of management in business, you know that COVID was not a cakewalk, right? And so here is this individual who took a step of faith and gave money so that the kingdom of God could be expanded through City First. And immediately after that, his company took a downturn. No victory in heaven goes unanswered by hell. I told him recently, the business owner, I said, hey, you know what? I really believe that the enemy was not happy with your generosity. And I believe that he was trying to create fear in you so that you won't be generous again because you thought to yourself, well, the last time I was generous, I got clobbered. And the enemy does that. He tries to create fear that if, if God does something in our lives, then all of a sudden he tries to answer it so that we become fearful. I've seen it in my own life. I mean, there's been times that I've, you know, tried to do something kind of bold for God, stepped out of my comfort zone, whatever it was, and then bang, I get clobbered, right? Or, or maybe, you know, like last year, the church, our church, your church, City First, right as going into COVID, we decided that we were going to take a financial risk and that we were going to start, we were gonna start feeding people. And we were going to start providing food for those that were under-resourced. And, and, and even like supplies for moms that, you know, that needed supplies for their kids, you know. So things like baby formula and, and diapers and things like that. And I remember the very first semi that we purchased, which cost $35,000 to purchase a semi full of food and supplies, to come up from Springfield, Missouri. That was a big deal for us because during that same amount of time, right at the beginning of COVID, the church offerings were down the toilet. 
I mean, like literally, we lost six figures in a month of revenue. And at that same time, we're like, but we're going to spend $35,000 and we're going to feed people. And it was, it was literally a step of faith for me and for the church. And, and then all of a sudden, God moved and great things happened. And, and I mean, we, we were helping to feed people and, and people donated towards it. And it was a great thing. Well, then all of a sudden, August comes. And I don't think the enemy was very happy because on August 10th, this location, Spring Creek, got hit by a tornado. Literally got hit by a tornado. Did $2 million worth of damage to this facility. And I thought to myself, I thought, no victory in heaven goes unanswered by hell. The enemy is trying to create fear. Some of you, you broke up with somebody recently that you knew you shouldn't have been dating in the first place. It wasn't God's best person for you. And you thought, you know what? I'd rather date, but you know what? I'd rather on top of that even more want God to bless my life. So I'm gonna break up with this person. And you make this bold statement and you break up with the person. And then what happens? Next week, you lose your job. It's like no victory in heaven goes unanswered by hell. I believe sometimes hell breaks loose after heaven broke loose because the enemy is trying to get you to question God's love for you. That's what I think is going on there. And so God says to Jesus, this is my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy and what's the very next thing? The enemy goes, I'm gonna bring you great pain. I'm going to do everything I can to discourage you, to distract you. I'm going to get you to question whether obedience pays off. And so Jesus enters into the wilderness. He goes for 40 days without food. He's tempted. He's at the end of the 40 days. And at that moment, the enemy, the Bible talks about, the enemy brings three temptations that quite honestly are his nuclear weapons. And you're going to see today, as I talk to you about these three temptations, it's the same way that he tempts you and I. Like, you're going to find that you resonate with these temptations. And so, I will tell you, at this point, Jesus is super tired. He's, he's, he's almost 40 days into this thing without food, and he is exhausted. Can I tell you also, be careful what you do during seasons of tiredness. Because when you're tired, you are more susceptible to making poor decisions, saying things that you regret, and perceiving situations incorrectly. In fact, I will tell you, when you're tired, you aren't your best, and many times if you make life-changing decisions, they are not always the best decisions. You gotta know yourself. For me, it's June. Now some of you are like, what do you mean? Well, before this weekend and this message, I've never in 30 years publicly said this, but for me, June is the hardest month for me to be a pastor. And you're like, why June? Well, the reason why is my own personal schedule as well as the church's schedule. We usually start at around Labor Day in September and we go 100 miles an hour nonstop all the way through the end of May. We like go into like the fall, the Christmas season, which is a huge deal, you know, and, and we like, you know, do production and we like have outreach and all this stuff. I mean, we have conferences like the Thrive Conference or like marriage conferences or men's conferences or the original women's conference, which usually is in like April or May. We have a thing called Easter, which that's a big Super Bowl. I mean, literally, we are just going going, 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 and by the time I get to the end of May, I'm like exhausted. 
And so by the time we get into June, when I'm preaching in June, I have like zero energy. I am fried at that point every single June. And it hit me about five years ago. I'm like, why are Junes personally so difficult for me? Because that's when the enemy brings out his nuclear weapons with Jeremy. He like starts putting little head games in there like, gosh, there has to be an easier job than this. Or like, Jer, your sermons are not good. Like, I literally will leave almost every message in June. I walk off stage, done for decades. I will walk off a stage from a June message, and in my mind, I will be like, that sermon sucked. And then, I'm so tired, the next sentence that comes out of my mouth is, but I don't care. <laughs> like, literally, like, I'm just exhausted. And I know myself now. In fact, even going into June, I told Jen, I'm like, well, June's coming. So you know what I'm going to do? I am not going to take myself very seriously, and I'm going to silence the voice of the enemy who's saying all kinds of garbage in my mind. I know that it's June. And so this is what I know with you. You have a June. It may not be June, but you have a June. It's a place or it is a season that you are exhausted and in those moments you think crazy thoughts, right? I mean, you do. You're like, why am I thinking these things? Why do I feel like I'm failing? Why am I angry at everybody? Because you're in June. Again, whatever your June is, you got to know yourself. When you are tired, make sure that you're careful about what you're doing, what you're saying, the decisions you're making, and specifically who you're listening to in your head. So now we're in Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Here's the enemy, and it says this, The devil said to him, meaning Jesus, If you are the Son of God, Now wait a minute, let me stop there a moment. In the previous chapter, Jesus just heard the affirmation of heaven. He just heard the Father's voice say, you are my dearly loved son, and I take joy in you. Now listen, the enemy heard that too, okay? So the enemy is not ignorant of that baptism moment with Jesus. And what is the first thing that comes out of the enemy's mouth to Jesus when he's tired? If you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. The enemy begins this tempting kind of moment by questioning the identity of Jesus, making him question his identity, his relationship to the Father, and the authenticity of God's word. Can I tell you, that's exactly what the enemy does with you and I. When we're tired, we begin to question, man, I don't know. I mean, I know I'm a son or a daughter of God, but I'm not really sure. And is God's word really true about me? You begin to question these things, if you're the son of God. The enemy always casts doubts on your worth and your value in Christ, and if God's word is true about you. He'll always do that. Like, I'm up here on a Sunday morning, and I'm like, God loves you. And there's a little voice inside your head going, oh, really? Or, God wants a relationship with you, and this little voice goes, yeah, but not necessarily you. Or maybe I'm up here going, God accepts you just the way that you are. And this little voice goes, nah, not really, you don't qualify. 
Or I'm up here going, God wants to make you become more like him. And this little voice goes, impossible. Right? In this questioning, the enemy sets up his first temptation. Here it is. You ready? You're going to resonate with it. It's this. Will God really meet your needs? See, that's the temptation that, that he was trying to get Jesus to fall into that trap. Is God really going to meet your needs or do you need to meet your, make your own bread? See, the enemy challenges Jesus to turn stone into a loaf of bread because he hadn't eaten for 40 days. And we can all fall into this temptation. You don't fully trust whether God is going to meet your needs. So what do you do? You start making your own bread. That's what you do. You start making your own bread. You're, you're like, okay, what do you mean by that? Well, maybe... You know, you know that God is going to call the right person into your life and you're going to cross paths with them, the right person that he has blessed you to marry. You know that God has somebody for that, but you're a little thirsty right now and you're a little hungry right now. And so instead of waiting, you decide to kind of instead pursue who's ever right in front of you. What are you doing? You're making your own bread. Does that make sense? Like, like, you know that God is going to cover all your financial needs because that's what we talk about here at City First, that God is going to cover your needs. He's going to help you, give you exactly what you need. But you know you're not really sure whether you trust him or not with that. And so I might hold back giving. I might hold back giving the tithe or an offering because I might need that money later just in case God does not cover all my needs. You're making your own bread. You see, God is going to provide what you need emotionally, physically, spiritually, but you're not really sure, and so what do you do? You take matters into your own hands, and can I tell you something? It takes no faith to take matters into your own hands and out of God's. In fact, the Bible says that it is faith that pleases him, that we please God through faith. In other words, that in a sense, our faith is, is what makes God go, yeah, well, it takes no faith to make your own bread rather than, in a sense, waiting on God. You know, you might say, oh, God, I trust you, but, man, if you don't provide what I need in the way that I want you to provide it, in the time frame that I want you to provide it, to, to provide it then I'm going to make my own bread. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Turn to the person next to you and say, Everything everything, right? And you're like, yeah, I believe that, but in case he doesn't meet all my needs, I'm going to try to create a way to meet my own needs. Or in Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs. Turn to the other person you blew off before, the other person, and say all. Will meet all your needs according to to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Well, yeah, but if he doesn't supply, I will go after these things. See, Jesus was hungry, but yet he was not impulsive. And what we need to learn is we need to learn that just because we have a desire, that doesn't mean we're going to consume what is right in front of us, but rather we're going to wait for what is blessed. Or wait for what is blessed. And really the question there is, Will God really meet my needs? If you know anything about fasting for long periods of time, 
A 40-day fast is actually pretty dangerous. In fact, um, I would not recommend it unless you really have some medical guidance and things like that advice. But, but a 40-day fast is pretty extreme. It's, it's really dangerous. In fact, um, if you eat solid food, if you eat solid food after you fasted for that long, it can be very dangerous. In fact, you need to start more with like fluids, liquids kind of thing. And so here, if you think about it, what the enemy is doing is the enemy is trying to get him to consume a loaf of bread. At best, it would have made Jesus sick. At worst, it could have killed him. So what is happening here is the enemy is actually trying to kill Jesus by giving him a challenge to make his own bread. And so it's the same way with you and I. Whenever we consume what is ever in front of us, whenever we make our own bread and we consume it, it actually can kill our destiny. That's the enemy's desire for each and every one of us. And so we need to realize that the enemy was up to something much more sadistic than just challenging Jesus here. He's wanting to actually kill Jesus, actually abort out the destiny that is on Jesus's life. But how does Jesus respond? He says, the scriptures say. I'm going to come back to this over and over again, but what Jesus does is he uses the word of God, the scriptures, to combat temptation. So the devil keeps on trying. First temptation didn't work. Second temptation, verses five through eight. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you, Jesus, if you will worship me. Jesus then replies, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him, which brings us to the second temptation that all of us can resonate with. It is this question, can God really be trusted to be in charge? Can he really be trusted to be in charge? In other words, who has the power in your life? Is it really God? Not just what we say, but is it really God? Is he really in charge or are you in charge? And we spend most of our lives in this tug of war with the God of the universe. Let me say it again. We spend most of our lives in a tug of war with the God of the universe. Who's going to win, right? Like, my will, God's will, my way, God's way. See, Satan is not lying here. Some of you are thinking, well, Satan's lying. He's saying that he has all this authority he's going to give to Jesus. No, actually, he wasn't lying. It's one of the few times that the enemy didn't lie. In fact, um, you got to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And uh, Adam and Eve, when they were created by God, God looked at them and said, now I give you dominion, there's the word dominion, over creation. What is dominion? Dominion means power and authority. And so when God created the world and created Adam and Eve before sin entered the world, when it was perfect, basically he said, Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you power and authority over creation and this world. It's delegated authority, but I'm giving it to you. Well, what happens when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and they gave in to the serpent's temptation, the enemy? Well, they took that authority that was given to them and then handed it to the enemy. And so guess what? The enemy is the ruler of this world. The enemy is the prince of this world. That's why it's hopelessly broken. That's why sin is rampant. Now, we as Christ followers, we're pockets of heaven in a hopelessly broken world. That, that Jesus says, I'm going to work for, through you in this world. But at the end of the day, the enemy does have authority in this world. But God's authority is greater. The enemy has authority in the world. 
God has supreme authority over everything. And so at the end of the day, this was really a temptation for Jesus. Because Satan was kind of dangling authority and saying, here Jesus, you want it back? <laughs> it's kind of ironic. The one who had stolen authority was trying to tempt the one who had supreme authority. But Jesus replied back and he said, the scriptures say. Again, uses the word of God to combat the temptation. We will all be tempted to ask ourselves over and over again on a daily basis, who's really in charge today? Am I driving the car of my life? Or is Jesus driving the car of my life? Who's really in charge? So the enemy comes at it for a third time. Third and final temptation of this passage. Because the first two didn't work, and Jesus keeps on using like the scriptures, right? So the enemy wises up a little bit, and in verse 9 says this. When the devil took him, then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, again questioning identity, jump off. For the scripture says, now wait a minute, the devil is quoting scripture here. In fact, you know what's kind of interesting? The devil actually knows scripture. Could I even say that some of us, the devil maybe knows scripture better than we do. So what the enemy is doing here is he's actually using truth to tempt Jesus into a lie. Think about that. Sometimes the enemy uses truth to tempt us. Well, yeah, my marriage is kind of bad. So you know what? That person at work that has an affinity towards me, well, my marriage is bad. So why not? <laughs> There's truth. Your marriage is shaky. The enemy comes and uses truth to get you to be tempted to do something that is a sin and a lie. So sometimes the enemy does. He uses truth. And here he's using the word of God. He goes on to say, the scriptures say, now he's taking Jesus' line, he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So he quoted a couple of scriptures, a couple of verses. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say. Now that's very important because what Jesus is saying here is, Devil, you cherry-picked a couple of scriptures to try to get your way, but let me tell you what the body of the scripture says, which has power, and the body of the scripture says you must not test the Lord your God. You know, you can use a scripture to justify and rationalize anything. It's really true. You can. In fact, I heard this joke one time from a pastor in Dallas. He said this. He goes, I can use one scripture to prove to you that King David in the Old Testament rode a motorcycle. The scripture goes like this, and David's triumph was heard throughout the land. You can use a scripture to justify anything. You could use a scripture, and let me just get uncomfortable for a moment, you can use a scripture to justify an affair, you can use a scripture to justify racism. You can use a scripture to justify stealing. 
You can use a scripture, but this is the thing. The enemy sometimes will use truth to get you to do something sinful, but you need to know more of the scripture, not just a scripture. You need to know the body of the scripture to know that the Bible says the opposite. I'm telling you, the enemy is trying to cherry pick here and take it out of context. And Jesus calls him on it and says, hey, the scriptures also say checks and balances, right? So we know this. There are things that are true that the enemy will definitely use. Last year during COVID-19, when we were in shelter in place and most people were quoting Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a psalm that's kind of the protection chapter, you could say, and even ourselves as our family. We got together, we, the boys, you know, Jen and I, we read Psalm 91 and we, we re, you know, claimed it for our life because this psalm says that, you know, like the pestilence at night and the, the plague during the day is not going to overtake you. I mean, you know, relevant to COVID in that season, right? So we prayed that. Psalm 91. Some of you prayed Psalm 91 last year over your families and over your lives. Do you know what, what passage of Scripture the enemy is quoting here? Psalm 91. He actually is using two verses out of Psalm 91, which brings me to the last temptation before we close that I think all of us can resonate with. It is the question, is God really going to protect you? See, some of us are scared. And COVID only stirred up the fear. Remember last year, right when we came out of like shelter in place, and we kind of go back to stores or whatever. I was in this one store and um, we were all wearing masks. And this one guy was in the store and he wasn't wearing a mask properly. He had the mask over his mouth, but not over his nose. Right? Remember how we all got educated about this? All right. And, and, and so... It wasn't over his nose. And no joke, this uh, lady ran up to him and screamed at him, you are trying to kill me. No joke. Like anger, and, but it sounded because she had a mask on. You are trying to kill me. Right? And I thought to myself, I thought, what is happening right now? Like the whole aisle stopped and we didn't know what to do. And this lady was yelling at this guy for not having the mask over his nose. That's what fear will do. Now, I'm not saying COVID isn't real. It's real. But fear will make you attack others, become irrational, not sleep at night, do things that you would normally not do very uncharacteristic of who you are normally right the enemy works in an environment of fear the kingdom of god is based upon faith the kingdom of hell is based upon fear and i will tell you the enemy is trying to create fear here in jesus let's see if god really is going to protect you and you know what he makes us wonder the same thing he'll use truth to try to get us to question and so for many of us, many of us, we've given into a lot of fear. A lot of fear. Like there's a lot of anxiety. You're, you're, you're drinking more. You're, you're taking more pills. You're trying to take sleep aids. You're doing everything you can because there's just this fear and your brain is full of fear. Can I tell you something? Jesus says the scriptures 
also say, there's a theme here. The theme is this, is that we must use the word of God to combat our fear, use the word of God to remind ourselves of our identity in Christ, to use the word of God to not give in to temptation. You gotta use the word of God. That's my point today. The takeaway is this, you gotta get the word of God in you. If Jesus had the word of God in him and quoted the word of God to avoid temptation, how much more should we be doing the exact same thing? And not just dabbling in it here and there and knowing John 3.16, but knowing more than just a verse here or there, but to know the body of the scripture, that God loves us, that he wants to heal us, that he protects us, that he is for us, that he's with us in the journeys of pain and the lily in the valley, that we know the body of scripture. And so I'm going to challenge you today that this summer, don't take a vacation from the word of God. But rather instead, if you want to be summer strong, to get the word of God in you and to be able to combat the temptations of life with it, it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came, which tells me this. Guess what? This whole tempting thing, we're going to be in this journey until we go to heaven. Okay? The enemy will always come back at us, but it says this, then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Remember what I said at the beginning of my message? He came into the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. How does he leave? Filled with the Holy Spirit's, what's that word? Power. So here's the thing. When you use the word of God, you have a power in your life that you don't have otherwise. When you combat the enemy's tactics and traps with the word of God, it gives you a strength that you don't have because if you're just trying to avoid temptation based upon your own willpower, you're going to give in. Or if it's just your opinions, when the enemy tries to tempt you, it's like you're trying to combat him with your opinions, you're going to give in. You know what you got to do? You got to rely on something stronger than you and that is the Word of God. You need to be able to do that. I, I remember, and I'm gonna close with this, but when I was younger, I had a really intense anger problem, and I, I still do to a certain degree. I mean, I, I mean, it's a Achilles heel with me that I always have to pray about. But back in the day, I mean, my words were sharp. My sarcasm was cutting. I used to just get angry. I mean, I was good at being angry. You know, you know anybody who's ever good at being angry? I was good at being angry. And there's this verse that's found in James chapter 1. And it says, For this you know, my brethren, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And I remember that verse 30 years later because I had to claim that verse over and over again. I'd start getting angry and I'd go, Oh, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And I have to say it over and over again, and sometimes it still blow my top. But guess what? Over time, I started to get angry less and less and less. And it was because the Word of God. I'm using the Word of God to come against anger. I'm not just using my own willpower, because I'm weak, and so are you. So you find scriptures that speak to the temptations that you're going through and you use those scriptures and by the end of this summer I believe that we are going to be summer strong and here's something that I'm going to have you do if you go to our app or you go to our website there is a seven day reading plan a little devotional seven days it'll take you 15 minutes a day seven days on how to combat and resist temptation 
And I would like to invite each and every one of you between now and next Sunday to join me with this, all right? And it's super simple. It's super easy. But if you do it, let's just put God to the test here in a good way. Let's see if his word really does give us strength. And let's take an every day, let's start our day off or end our day with 15 minutes so we focus in on this devotional. Seven days. You can do this, all right? You can do this, I promise. Seven days, and let's see God give us strength. So I'm going to do this. How many of you would say that at least you're going to give it a strong consideration? Raise your hand. Come on, right? All right, look around the room. This is our accountability. All right, seven days, let's believe that God's going to do great things. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time together. And God, I pray that you would help us to be strong in resisting temptation. Because this is what I know. We're all going to be tempted. But Lord, we don't have to give in to the temptation. The birds can fly over our head, but they don't have to nest in our hair. And God, I pray for anybody in here that says, boy, I don't have Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, the first step of resisting temptation is to have Jesus in you, forgiven you, so, Lord, I pray that, God, that they would just say, I want a relationship with Jesus today. Simply saying, come into my life, forgive me of my sin. Because that's the first step in resisting temptation. Lord, make us stronger in this summer. As we go through this month, make us stronger week by week by week so that by the time we go into fall, we are strong in you. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.